0: If you could go to Barbados right now, would you do it? I mean, why wouldn't you do it? But the goal for trainer Safi Joseph Jr. was to leave the island paradise. It's working out pretty well. Plus, with a grade one win to call her own, Sophie Doyle may be forging a path much like her younger brother James, especially if she wins a Breeders' Cup race. We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate.
1: They're in the gate. They're about to move in.
0: This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can get us as well on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com or your podcatcher app and, of course, in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure that you vote for us in the upcoming Fan Choice Awards at America's Best Racing. It happens in November after the Breeders' Cup. And, yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of the categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in November in the Fan Choice Awards at americasbestracing.net. Let's say you're the parent of a teenager, as I am, And maybe your teenager isn't quite sure of his or her future career ambitions, as mine isn't. That's fine. Many teenagers fit that mold, right? Well, you as the parent probably want your kid to go to college. But without much direction, you're less likely to send him or her far away. I mean, if your kid wants to be a film director, then the University of Southern California might make sense. And if it costs big money to go there then you figure it out. Well, Saffy Joseph Jr. wanted to be like his father, a horse trainer. His parents wanted him to go to college, so they booted him off the island of Barbados, where they lived, and sent him to the United States, to a prep school near Miami for two years, and then to Florida International University, just up the road from there. That didn't quite work, Joseph says now, since he spent more time at Gulfstream and the track formerly known as Calder, now Gulfstream Park West, than he did in class. So he returned to the island and started training. He even won the Barbadian Triple Crown, who knew, in 2009. Two years later, in 2011, Safi Joseph came ashore for good, and now he's got a chance to make quite a few Bahan dollars in the Breeders' Cup Classic.
1: Math Wizard trying to spring a big upset on the far outside. Improbable saving ground all the way looking to come through on the inside. It's Mr. Money off the turn with the lead. Mr. Money in front. Spun to run on the outside. Improbable up the inside. War of will in between horses. Bath Wizard on the far outside. What a finish in the Pennsylvania Derby. Here comes Bath Wizard on the far outside. Math Wizard. Mr. Money. Math Wizard on the outside. Bath Wizard. Math Wizard. Yes, sir. Math Wizard. 30 to 1. Upset winner in the Pennsylvania Derby.
0: And with the classic division thinned out by injury, It is conceivable that Saffy Joseph might just join Dougie Fresh, Rihanna, and Grandmaster Flash as milestone-achieving native Barbadians. And with that, we welcome Trainer Saffy Joseph Jr. here to win the gate. Let's start with Math Wizard, of course. What did you feel as he was coming down the stretch of the Pennsylvania Derby?
2: Well, it's a real feeling. You just you know you're hoping that he will get there, and it was happening in slow motion, and when he got there, like it was just unbelievable to see it come through that he could run a race like that and beat those kind of horses, something that was a dream come true.
0: He finished 6th in the Grade 3 West Virginia Derby at the beginning of August, and that was 7 weeks before the Pennsylvania Derby. How were you able to give this horse some time off in Florida and then have him sharp enough to win a Grade 1 race in late September?
2: It all just came together. I think West Virginia was one race. Too many for him in that period. It was his second race in three weeks. We kept him in Keenan during that time, which was probably a mistake. We should have probably brought him back home. And we got him back home in his set, and he took a little while to come around. His first work was just an easy work. His second work was very good, and his third work was extraordinary. And at one point, like, we, we didn't know how he will come out his third work as far as it was a stiff work, but he did it so good. So we didn't know how long it would take to recuperate we were able to get a flight for him on Thursday, which gave us a couple of days to see how he would come out the race, and it worked out perfectly.
0: Edgar Zayas has been the regular rider for Math Wizard, but he didn't come up from Florida for the Penn Derby because the horse's entry was so last minute. So what does the rider situation look like from here?
2: Yeah, we weren't sure if we were even going to the Pennsylvania Derby, and he had already committed some rides at, at Gulfstream, so he stayed here, unfortunately, and For the rider and the British Columbia, we're still undecided. We haven't, we don't have a rider. Ira's committed to ride Vina Russo, so rider is still open at the moment. We haven't decided on a rider. We're gonna wait. We don't have to rush to any decision, and we're gonna wait and see what happens. How things unfold. We mentioned in our open how you arrived
0: here from Barbados in 2011. I'll bet many of our listeners, and I have to admit I include myself in this, didn't even know there was thoroughbred racing in Barbados. What is the racing scene like there?
2: Yeah, they run, right now in Barbados, they only run twice a month. It's a three-quarter track, six furlongs, and it's turf only. We train on on the dirt, run on the turf. It's only turf racing. And the atmosphere is actually a good atmosphere. When you're there, you can get much closer to the horses racing, so you actually feel like you're part of it. And I think that's, that's the uniqueness that it has. Like you're so close to the horses racing that gives you that vibrant feel.
0: What we didn't mention was that when you came here, you had exactly two horses in your care. How did you get from there to here?
2: Just keep trying to do good and keep trying to win races and attract attention and asking people for chances. And I think it all come together. We've got a lot of opportunities. A lot of owners have been supportive of us and, you just keep working hard. Things work out fall into place.
0: Trainer Safi Joseph Jr. joining us here on In the Gate. He'll send out the Penn Derby winner Math Wizard in the Breeders' Cup Classic. As if coming from Barbados to train a grade one winner isn't crazy enough, there's the fact that less than a year ago, Math Wizard ran in a $16,000 maiden claiming race at Gulfstream and finished third. He didn't even win. And to make things even crazier, do you know who won that $16,000 maiden claimer last December?
1: Maximum security proves he's the real deal.
0: And there's no need to go down that rabbit hole right now. But what do you think of these two grade one winning horses coming out of a race that low on the horse racing totem
2: pole? Well, it's unbelievable, because normally you think of oh, a in 16, especially for young horses, very few people risk any horse of like quality in those kind of races made in 16. Majority of the time, a two-year-old running, or a three, early three-year-old running for 16, aren't very good if they're into 16,000, as far as ability goes. And to have two ador- two horses from the same race, that one grade one, it, like if someone was a t- the only way you could believe that, seeing it, and it, it actually happened, And it will probably go down in the history of racing at the best in 16 ever. I know things could change over time, but I don't think that, that one's going to change.
0: Did you get more ambitious with Math Wizard because Maximum Security went on to do bigger things first?
2: No, but Math Wizard reclaimed them in January. I think towards the end of January. So, Maximum Security, I don't won the Florida Derby yet or anything. We were so far behind him. But, but the, day, the day we claimed Math Wizard, he won by 18 lengths. It was a very impressive performance, and I think that was his first time going, that was was his first breakthrough performance. It was also his first time going a route of ground, and the the guys that had him before did did a good job in stretching him out. They made a a good decision, and I think we just got him at the right time. Now you have another
0: potential superstar, the two-year-old Chance It!,
1: It's Chance race to win or lose. He's off the turn with a five-length lead now. Smash Factor is flat to the board. Second down the center, Poe, with Liam's lucky charm. But let there be no doubt who's best. The in-reality goes to Chance It. Chance It wrapped up, geared down, and six on top.
0: Chancet won a stakes race at your home base of Gulfstream back in late September. And while Chancet will skip the Breeders' Cup, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention him. What has it been like watching a potential superstar develop in your barn?
2: We're just, we're very thankful. I think he's a, I think he's a really good horse. Extremely talented from day one. Um, just a pleasure to be around. Always wants to do and I've skied him. A high cruising gear and also has stamina, and that—that's when you have those two attributes in a horse, it's—it's it's lethal.
0: What was it like watching his maiden win with your mom standing next to you in from Barbados?
2: It, it was a special moment. because first time out, he got beat, and it was very disappointing. Because normally we don't have our horses fully cranked first time out. We kind of let them get a race in, into them to develop. I think that's the best way of bringing them along. But I thought first time out he would still like overcome us and, and win, and he, he got beat that the and it, it was it was disappointing but he got a good education because he got in behind horses and he took dirt and he was able to run on so it was disappointing I got that we got him beat because I didn't want to I, I thought he was a horse that could win like six or seven in his first six or seven on that day it was disappointing and then to see him come second time out and win like what we thought he is it was very fulfilling having my mom there I turned to her at the quarter pole and I said this is a horse we dreams." This is what we've been waiting for.
0: Now, how do you balance the thrill of getting to the Breeders' Cup with Math Wizard with the pressure of knowing that horses like Math Wizard and Chancet could be the key to your getting to the next level as a trainer?
2: Well, I think it's a pressure that you want. For us as a team, we want to have these kinds of horses. I mean, we, we enjoy having even our reclaimers, I think learned, that's what teaches us to become horsemen or declaimers, and then, but you also want to compete at the top level. These are the kind of horses that you want. So it's pressure that we want, like, it's good pressure to have. And to have these kind of talented horses makes everyone in the barn just, everyone has the extra pep in their step. You can see how the whole team, like, just has a different, I mean, I, give, I always work harder, but just, it's like, everyone, it feels like all their, their work is coming through and seeing it come off, like, it, it's, it's very satisfying.
0: And we certainly wish you the best of luck in the Breeders' Cup and beyond. Thank you so much, sir, for a few minutes.
2: Anytime, right.
0: We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, doesn't it seem like every piece of American popular culture ultimately traces back to England? The latest might be Sophie Doyle, the jockey, and she'll join us right after the break. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. As I was saying before the break, doesn't it seem that every piece of American popular culture ultimately traces back to England? The Beatles, David Bowie, who wants to be a millionaire, even the great British baking show. And then there are the Doyles. First there was Jacqueline Doyle, a trainer and steeplechase jockey in the UK. Among her notable star horses was Zanay, winner of the Winter Derby in 2000. But her two biggest stars are her children. Sophie and James, whom she raised in the town of Lambourne, a place known as the Valley of the Horse. James, as you probably know, has been a go-to rider for the mighty Godolphin stable since 2014. He's won seven stakes races at Royal Ascot, among his major victories around the world. And then there's big sister Sophie. In 2010, she won 28 races, more than any other female apprentice in England. Three years later, in 2013, she decided to shift her tack to the United States, even though she knew nobody in American racing. And Sophie Doyle has brought the best of British culture to America.
1: They're coming down to the final furlong. Garana, here comes Straight Band on the outside. And Straight Band has come from far back to take the lead. Garana now second, but Straight Band is beginning to move away, and this will be a signature moment for Straight Band. She's 7-1, and she's got it.
0: Street Band's win in the Cotillion in September was Sophie Doyle's first grade or Group 1 win anywhere. And now she'll have a chance to add to that total when she climbs aboard the Philly again in the Breeders' Cup Distaff. And we are pleased to welcome jockey Sophie Doyle, our version of the Beatles, for the first time here to win the gate. First of all, what was the feeling after that win in the Cotillion from you, from your brother, and your whole family?
3: It was just absolutely incredible. I- you know, what an amazing day for everybody that was involved. Uh, everyone from Larry Jones and Ray Merrick Francis and, and Medallion Racing, and then, of, of course, all the racing fans of my racehorse. It was just absolutely tremendous.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about these syndicates of people who are just getting involved in racing. I mean, what was it like to face them once you had come back to the winner's circle?
3: Oh, it was absolutely fantastic, you know. It was, incredible that so nice that racing fans are able to be a part of such a big horse in these nice graded state races and it gives them a sense and feeling of what it's like to really own a racehorse and at the height of its game it's you know, it's really interesting for them and for them to come out, be able to, you know, meet the meet street band and meet Larry Jones and for him to explain the way things are done on the backside looking after the horses and also then they get to meet people like myself who then get to explain to them and give them the story and the feel of how it is to you know not only to prepare for a race but to ride the race and then give them the feedback afterwards that it's thing it's information that they've never heard before and it's a really good insight for them
0: Well, how about giving us some information? You've called Street Band a -a once-in-a-lifetime horse. What is your relationship like with her?
3: Yeah, she's just, ever since I started riding her back at the fairgrounds in last year's fall, she's just come from strength to strength. and It's taken a while for us two to get to know each other, and I feel like every race that we come to, we're progressing more and more, and it just really helps the fact that Larry Jones likes his jockeys come and work his horses and that he's a very loyal man that if you're there working them and you know you, got, you put the time in and especially with a horse like street band it really helps to build our connection together i think it's what makes a winning formula but definitely
0: well now that you have this connection with her what kind of quirks does she have and how do you handle them
3: well like i always tell everyone we're like two fiery redheads together <laughs> uh, we both <laughs> We both want to win, but we also have to keep ourselves pretty content until we get there. And with Street Band, she just gets pretty nervous and jumps around quite a bit. And um, she likes to bring those front feet off the ground if she can. I just try and whistle to her, talk to her, keep her calm. And I just have a way that I now have my own way of warming her up. And I just try to keep her relaxed, keep her away from all the other horses if I can. And try not to, you know, it's hard when you've got somebody who's ponying you and they have a hold of her and you're riding her too. So I have to be the one telling the pony guy, the girl, who, what we're doing, okay, that's not working, let's change and do this. She's not a normal, one of the normal ones that are pretty quiet. You can have your regular warm-up walk around. She gets pretty apprehensive about everything. And then especially as she starts to walk up to the gate, sometimes she can get a little wound up. The last two times, she's been pretty good coming up to the gate. And she's been able to stand there and take a breath, and she's been very well behaved. So I think she, you know, she's coming around eventually, but she's a lot more easier to ride now than she was at the beginning, that's for sure.
0: You recently had a chance to ride on the same card as your brother, who came across the pond to ride in the Shadwell Mile at Keeneland. Is that the first time you've been in the same jocks room in the afternoon?
3: No, it's not. We were back in, back home in England for many years. We were, you know, obviously in the same, riding at the same tracks a couple of times. And I know England's a little bit different. We race all over the country. But we were fortunate enough that we would we would go racing together if we're racing on the same card and that was nice that we can talk on the way to the races about our races and then we'd talk on the way home. And then um we actually spent after our mum moved our mum moved out of our family home and my brother and I stayed there for three years together. So we were quite, you know, quite used to being with each other and we were pretty close when I was back home in England. So it was really nice to have him be able to be there the other day, and it was enjoyable.
0: Well, it's certainly plausible that he would be at Santa Anita to ride in the Breeders' Cup. Does that mean the whole family's coming over?
3: The whole family, yeah, pretty much. My mom will be there, and James will be there, and then it'd be fantastic that myself will be there also. Um, That's about it for my little family. (laughs) We don't have a big family, so it's pretty special that all three of us will be there together again.
0: How will you be able to focus on your job if that happens?
3: That's pretty easy. I mean, James will be in the guys' jocks room and he'll be busy preparing in his way, and I'll be preparing in my way also. We're, we're very professional in what we do, and especially on our race days, that we'll probably maybe get together in the morning for some light breakfast, and then once we head over to the jocks room, it'll be, will be. Doing our own things, really, and mum will have to be out there with my group of friends that are coming, and she'll be outside enjoying the day and just waiting to watch her two children race the Breeders Cup.
0: Sophie Doyle is our guest here on in the Gate. she'll Pilot Street Band in the Breeders Cup Distaff, and we'll get to your mom in a second. But what made you want to leave a place where your family's connections might have advanced your career faster in order to come here to ride?
3: I spent many years back home in England riding. I Obviously, I was riding for my mom when my mom was racing. And once she retired from being a tr- racehorse trainer, she became a jocks agent. And she had my brother and I on her books as well as a few other jockeys. And she did fantastic. She did a really good job. But for me, things just weren't moving in the way that I wanted them to. And I'd already been to Dubai for two winters. Working and then I came back out and I went to America and I actually got my first ever taste of America at Palm Meadows, where I worked for Ian Wilkes and Carl Nasca's for six weeks. So I did that at Palm Meadows for six weeks and then I came back, had my two trips to Dubai and I decided that I would really like to go back out to America again. So I took another working holiday back out to America at Santa Anita. And when I came back and I was riding the next year, I just felt like that was where I needed to be. So I made another trip back out there after my season didn't quite go as well as I'd like it to and decided that I I think I just need to make a fresh start. And I really enjoyed the racing in America. I realized there was a lot more opportunity. There's plenty of money involved. And they've got plenty of racetracks here that you can move around the country. You can be where you need to be. And it's also nice that some of the racetracks, you can actually stay in one place for like at least five to six months of the year and just travel short distance to the racetracks. Back home in England, you're just on the road day in, day out. You never really have any time to yourself at all. So I really enjoy racing here in America. And I've been in Kentucky for three years. I've spent, I'm going into my fourth season at the fairgrounds in New Orleans. And then I've also was up in Chicago for two summers. I know it sounds like I've been a bit of a travel bunny, but I've also you know, <laughs> been able to stay in those spots for at least five to six months of the year. So it's been really nice.
0: Now, we mentioned your mom, and I-, I don't like that this is still an issue nowadays. But when your mom broke into training, let's face it, society was even less progressive regarding gender equality <laughs> than it is now how was your mom able to forge a career as a trainer?
3: I think pretty much the same as me, we're pretty feisty. And my <laughs> mom, she's um she's feisty, she's strong, she's competitive, she's a very strong very strong minded and she's a fighter. And I think that's all all of those qualities that she has she's instilled in me. I think that's why I'm able to be so far away from home and make a go of things over here as a career for myself because of those qualities that I, you've got to be strong minded. You can't be, you can't be seen as being weak. You've got to keep fighting all the time. And even though I've ridden a grade one, when I'm still walking around Keenland, still having to try and get mounts, you know, nothing's like, Hey, we've got a bunch of horses for you to ride. Hey, you want a grade one? Here's 10 horses. I still have to go out there and find those horses and find the people to ride for, um, and that's what my mum taught me. You just don't give up. You just keep fighting and working for it. And eventually, one day, it will pay off for you. So I think when she was training, she, she, it was pretty hard for her. But my mum was a tough woman and she was able to handle herself. And I think when it comes down to it from the whole family, I think my granddad really taught her a lot. He was a pretty strong man that he had his opinions and he made my mum work hard. Um, I think my mum wanted to become a journalist and he told her that if you're not outside doing work, that's not a job. He was a very, he was a hands on labor man that you had to be outside working the cattle, building like he was in construction some of the time. So we've all had that good, strong work ethic about us.
0: I hope he also told your mom that if she if she wanted to make any real money that journalism was not the right field to go into but anyway <laughs> uh, how often do your mom and you still yeah. talk
3: uh, we speak almost every other day with you know some days we could talk three four times a day and then we'll have a quiet patch but we're honestly we're always in touch with each other whether it's you know via WhatsApp and or Facebook Messenger or FaceTiming. we're all pretty much always in touch and she follows all my races. I think for any mother, she's, she sits up all night long, watching any races that I'm riding at any time of the night, sets her alarm if she has to. And just because she wants to know in herself that I've crossed the wire safely and that I'm okay for the day, that I finished my day on a good note and I'm back home and I'm safe. And I know because she always message me after my last race to tell me what she thought or everything okay, okay, that's grand. I'll go to sleep now then. So she has um, she has to be on up quite a bit, and I think she'll be well used to the time changes when she makes her way back over here again.
0: Yeah, those downs after dark programs at Churchill must really be her favorites, don't you think?
3: Oh, absolutely, definitely. So what
0: roles did uh, trainer Kellen Gorder and his assistant John Ortiz play in your career here?
3: Oh, they both of them played a huge part of my career. You know, when I was leaving California and I decided that I wanted to um, leave California, that it just wasn't quite working for me. And I think my style had a lot to do with it. And it was a new type of race and it was fresh. And I think I needed to learn a bit more about the American race and if I was going to really make a go of it over here. So when I, I actually met John Ortiz when I first landed in America at Del Mar for 10 days. We met for two days, and he kept saying, you really need to come to Kentucky. He said, Kentucky's a place where you can ride at plenty of tracks. You'll get lots of experience. There's plenty of horses here. And it took me six months of convincing that, you know what, he's probably right. That's where I need to go. So I called Callan Gordo, and I asked him if he had a job available for me. Because at the time I needed to work for somebody. I couldn't just go off and trying to be a jockey because he's got bills to pay and a car to run. So he agreed that yes, he had a spot at Oakland for two months. So I went up there and John Ortiz pretty much grilled me every day when we were bruising horses about how to get the American style a bit more to fit into me. And he would honestly, we'd be breathing along together and he'd be shouting at me like, get down lower, push your knees out a bit more, get your hands higher, put the bit up in the mouth. Like I could, And then when I started riding races, I would just constantly hear that in my mind. And it really helped to set me on my way a bit more. Um, and then we left Oakland and came back down to Kentucky, finally made my way to Kentucky. And I was at Kingland for the first part And then we left and went to Churchill. And I was in Churchill for the whole summer, working with John's team over there. And a trainer called Larry Demerit said, he always said to me, I will give you your first winner. And you know how some people always say things, but sometimes it doesn't always happen. And he put me on this horse called Jazz and Tap, and he gave me my first winner of being in America.
0: Jazz and tapped onto the wire. It is jazz Tapp in a photo.
3: And I was fortunate enough that I wrote him a second winner again later on in the week at Churchill too. So that was really nice that everything kinda came together and after that Turfway came along and I met up with an agent called Mike Season. I started working with him and we moved on to Turfway at the end at the beginning of December. And that was really my big start in America that we rode. I think we had like 25 winners at Turfway for that meet. And then we came around to Keeneland and we had a really, really good time. And I was set up in Kentucky.
0: All right. What's harder, riding a horse aggressively in America out of the gate or learning how to drive on the right-hand side of the road and sit on the left side of the car?
3: Uh, That's a tough one. (laughs) <laughs> like, obviously, I've become quite good at both now. But definitely, I'd say definitely the, a big change for me was what, how to get horses out the gate here in America, and especially from being back home where they teach you to hold on to the neck strap. And it's just very, it's very different. I actually was able to start when I'd been coming out to America a couple of times, and they'd been teaching me in the gate how to get horses out the gate. And I actually had people like Mike Smith. And Garrett Gomez really helped me. When I'd go and get on the mechanical horse before racing just to practice, they would come over and give me a couple of helpful tips. So when I went back home to England, it was a big help. It was a big change for me because I'd never learned that way before. And even my brother used to say to me, how do you do it? How do you get these horses up the gate so well? So, of course, I started showing my brother, and then naturally he started doing it too. So it's been a big help for both of us. Driver, I'd say definitely driving on the left hand side of the road, though, so in America is, I think, pretty easy because the roads are so big and it's a lot safer. But the toughest place to drive on the other side of the road, and especially on the left hand, was when I was in Dubai. That's pretty scary. Why? Don't ever have a manual car because if you stall it, you haven't got time to start it because they just drive so fast. They're pretty scary for me out there. So I I actually had a got dropped off. Somebody dropped off a manual car. I drove it for one day. I rang them and said, please, please come and take this back and bring me an automatic. <laughs> I, I haven't got time to be changing gears and getting in anybody's way. They just drive so fast. But that was back then and probably eight years ago now that was. I, so I know since then they've cracked down on the speed in and they've put the speed cameras in and, They're a bit more aware, and they drive a lot safer probably now than they did eight, eight, nine years ago. So, yeah, it depends. I guess it depends which country you're in.
0: Have you tried to visualize what it will be like to ride in the Breeders' Cup with all that atmosphere and pageantry?
3: Yeah, I have done. I was fortunate enough four years ago that I had a filly called Fioretti who gave me my first graded stake win, and we actually managed to win... Um, the TCA stakes, which was a winning her into the Philly and Mayor sprint on the dirt.
0: Here's Fioretti down the center of the racetrack and also Hey Kitty 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 who comes charging up on the outside. Hey Kitty 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 chasing Fioretti. Now Judy the Beauty has an opening but the wire's coming. Fioretti with the lead. Fioretti springs the upset for Sophie Doyle.
3: So we had all the hype before and going into that race which of course You know, my very first time of being riding at the Breeders' Cup, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing and incredible. And there was a lot of hype, a lot of interviews, articles, meeting people, going places. But this year, this time around with the Breeders' Cup, it's, you know, it's nice to know I'm going there with a filly that, you know, she's won a grade one. She's ran against the toughest three-year-old fillies in the country. And she was able to beat them last time. I know this time we'll be running against older horses and we'll be bumping into horses like Midnight Bisu, who is extremely well-respected in what she has done this season. So we've got to be on our game. I've got to keep my mind right, stay healthy, stay fit and be really, really, really focused and not let any of the media side of it take over too much. I think I've really got to keep my mind right going into this race because Street Band has every chance of winning. And if I'm going to win, then I need to be 100% for her and for my entire team.
0: And we certainly wish you the best of luck at the Breeders' Cup with Street Band. Sophie Doyle, thank you so much for a few minutes. This is great.
3: Sure, absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Our thanks once again to Sophie Doyle and Safi Joseph, Jr., With the scrutiny horse racing's received in America this year, imagine if this scenario occurred. A champion trainer accused of terrifying a horse to run faster. The sport might die at the mention of such a word. But that's what's happening in Australia, where trainer Darren Weir faces nine charges of animal cruelty, including using buzzers to shock his horses and overworking them. The counts of abuse and torture alone are three... Darren Weir was best well-known for a truly feel-good story, winning the 2015 Melbourne Cup with a 100-to-1 Prince of Penzance who was piloted by a lady, Michelle Payne. How the public ate that up. But Darren Weir was more than that. He trained 600 horses. That's Todd Fletcher and Chad Brown combined times two. If someone of that stature in this country is charged like we're, I shudder to think of the damage that would do. You can get us on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com or your podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure you vote for us in the upcoming Fan Choice Awards at americasbestracing.net. It happens in November after the Breeders' Cup. And yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of the categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in November in the Fan Choice Awards at americasbestracing.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at theabramsvoice Voice or on Facebook at BarryAbramsVoice. Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.